The following is a production of the people of Mars Hill. For more information, visit pomh.org. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. And if you have your copy of Scripture, um, you can turn to several places because we are finishing up our Advent series. I know that sounds kind of weird because we're already past Christmas time and usually Advent leads up to the Christmas. But we had these couple of extra days leading into our study of John and today's the last one of those. Last week you got to hear from one of our missionaries that you support and we support as a church uh, day on and to hear some of the exciting things that are happening around the world. Uh, and especially with the ministry that God has given to him. Today, we want to finish out that Advent series and almost segue into what we're going to begin next week, which, which is our study of John. And John begins his letter much differently than the other gospel writers, maybe not so much like Mark, but, you know, we have this very uh, elaborate um, birth story in Luke. Matthew talks about the birth of Jesus in the sense that he gives us those lengthy genealogies. Mark just jumps right into the gospel. He doesn't talk about Jesus' birth. And John is much the same way. John talks about it in very metaphorical terms, in the sense that this light has come into this darkness. And that's the coming of Christ. And so that's what I want to focus in on today, is Jesus being the light of the world. And what does that mean? Because what we've been doing each week is looking at these titles that these gospel writers start off with to tell us who Jesus is. And we've looked at um, him being the Messiah, We've looked at him being the son of David, the son of Abraham, and what each one of those means. With him being the son of Abraham, he is the long-promised miracle son who comes to us that is going to be a blessing to the nations that was promised to Abraham. The son of David, he comes in power. He comes as a king. He comes to push back the enemy. Um, and so that's why so many people, lepers and those who are hurting, would cry out, son of David, have mercy on us, because the king is the one who who comes in power. And then also we talked about the Messiah, how Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. All the Old Testament scriptures point to him. And so when Matthew introduces him as the Christ or the Messiah, that's what he's trying to say is that Jesus was the fulfillment and he fulfilled every one of them perfectly. So what I want to do today is look at this idea of the light of the world because the gospel writers talk about that when Jesus came, that the light has come into this darkness, or those who are dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. So let's think about that for a moment. First of all, let's start with this. How many of you were scared of the dark, either you know when you were children or still are, okay? Yeah, you remember that fear that you had, and usually, and I had that fear as well. I, I oftentimes would um, after my parents went to bed, I would turn my light back on and sleep with the light on. I'm the kind of guy that loves light. Everybody doesn't like me around here. I think it's way too dark in here. I would have fluorescence everywhere. This place would be so lit up that you would see every spot on the floor, everything that anyone ever dropped. That's the kind of light I like. I like brightness. I like bright day. I don't like wintertime because the sun isn't out long enough for me. I like it to be the very middle of summer where you get up and the sun is already up and it stays up until late into the night. Uh, I would often go to Louisville, Kentucky for school when I was working on my PhD and I loved it there because they were on Eastern time and I remember being there in the middle of the summer and the sun would just be setting at about 10 o'clock at night and I thought what a wonderful place this is. I like, I like the daylight. I did not like the night. I was scared of the dark, probably scared of the dark because 
uh, unhealthy fear of the dark usually is accompanied by an unhealthy imagination because you kind of make up all these things uh, that are happening. I don't know how many of you are what I call awfulizers. If you are an awfulizer, it means that whenever you find yourself in a situation, you think of the most awful way that that situation could possibly turn out, and you are an awfulizer. Well, I'm the same way. When it gets dark, I think about the most awful things that could possibly be lurking in that darkness, and that creates a fear. So I love the light because light always comes in and dispels the darkness. But the question I want to start with is this. Why is it that the dark scares us so much? What is it about the darkness that elicits the kind of fear that many of us grew up with, or maybe even still have to some degree? Well, today we're going to look at this title that the New Testament gives to Christ, that he is the light of the world. They make this claim that somehow the darkness has seen this great light. And there's this theme of light and dark that are constantly being contrasted throughout the gospels, especially we're going to see it in the book of John, because there is these people that Jesus keeps coming up against. And it may be those who are sick. It may be those who are infirmed. It may be those who are very religious. But the picture that John keeps creating is that light is now confronting darkness. And that's what he wants us to see, and he wants us to see that picture. But John's not the only one. Luke will talk about it. Uh, Matthew talks about it and contrasts those as well. Mark does the same thing. So over and over again, we see the gospel writers making this contrast between light and darkness. Let me show you one passage in particular, Luke chapter 1. In the beginning of Luke's gospel, verse 76 of chapter 1, it says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now, this is talking about John the Baptist. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, how many of you are early, early risers? Yeah, I am too. I'm one of those people. Now, there, there, are, there are those two types of people. There are two people that love to see the sunrise and there are those people who have no idea what you're talking about when you talk about a sunrise. And so I'm the, I'm the first of those. I love to see a sunrise. I get up at 4.30 in the morning typically, and I will go into the living room. But my wife has this rule that I'm not allowed to turn any lights on at all. So I said uh, the creation of the iPad was one of the greatest things because now I can actually read in the dark because the light is behind the words now. And so I will literally go in there, and it's completely dark. And if you're like me, I never get enough of seeing a sunrise where it is pitch black and literally in 20 minutes you go from pitch black to being able to see everything. And it's amazing how the light will just begin to come over that horizon, how you will begin to see shadows form very long how you will see those colors that mix the skyline, how they'll begin to reflect off of the cloud, how they work their way into your house. And it's an amazing thing to watch and I never get enough of it because it blows my mind how we can go from complete darkness to complete light in just a matter of minutes. That's something that's amazing and that's a picture that the gospel writers want us to see. When Jesus came into the world, literally we went from complete darkness to this bright light invading that darkness. Think about what 
uh, he says right here in uh, Luke chapter one. He talks about John is going to set the pace for this Messiah. And when this Messiah comes, it's like a sunrise that is coming, that meets the darkness, that chases back. And he says in verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So David, obviously this is an allusion back to David when he talks in Psalm 23 about a walking through the valley of the shadow of death. How do we get through this darkness of this valley of the shadow of death? Well, we have to have a light and the light shows us the way to peace. Isaiah 9, 2, the prophet Isaiah said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And so Isaiah says that when the Messiah comes, that the darkness is going to see this great light. Well, Matthew picks up on that going back and quoting Isaiah. Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So obviously, Matthew believes that Jesus is this Messiah. He is the one who has been long promised. He is the light that is coming into the darkness. As we get into the book of John, we're going to see him really emphasize the identity of Jesus in his writings. All the gospel writers are writing to different audiences, and they're writing for different purposes. What we find with Matthew is he's writing to a mostly Jewish audience to show them that Jesus is this promised Messiah of the Jewish people. When you get into the book of Mark, he talks about this king comes in authority and he's better than Nero, who would have been the emperor of Rome during the time of Mark's writing. Also, he was alluding to Cincinnatus, who was this famous Roman who left his fields after fighting a brave, as a brave warrior for the Roman army. He went into his fields like they would give to them after they retired. He comes out of the fields and comes and conquers and pushes back the enemy. And once he's done what Rome has asked him to do, he hands his power over and goes back to his farm. And that's what the people in that day and time were looking for. They were looking for a leader who wasn't all about their own power, but was about the betterment of the people. And so they were looking for that Cincinnatus. And Mark was basically saying, Jesus is even better than Cincinnatus. And then when you get into Luke, he's talking about these different aspects of Jesus's power and Jesus's ministry. But when you get to the book of John, John is interested in one thing, and that is proving that Jesus is God, that he's 100% God. So, so not like Matthew, he doesn't major on parables. John majors on miracles. And so he talks about the different miracles of Jesus, the things that he accomplishes. And one of the things that, G, uh, that John does, he picks up using this phrase, I am. Now, there's seven or eight times right there in the beginning of the book of John where he highlights Jesus using an I am statement. And he'll even use the I am a lot, emphasizing it, because I am is the name of God. Yahweh translated, I am that I am. And one of the statements that John picks up on is, I am the light of the world. We looked at one a few weeks earlier when we were talking about him being the son of Abraham, that he says before Abraham was, John quotes Jesus as saying, I am. 
So over and over, he uses these I am statements. For John, you're going to see that these are more than just titles that he gives to Jesus. He's using these titles specifically. He's trying to communicate something more than just a title. He wants us to see that Jesus is eternal, that Jesus is the creator, that he's the provider, and most of all, that Jesus can be trusted. You can trust him with your life. So let's turn our attention to Jesus' statement found in John chapter 8, verse 12. I'm going to point to this. Obviously, we're not going to go as much detail today as we will when we get there in three years. But um, you will long have forgotten that I even mentioned it here by the time we get to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, what does it say? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Again, here comes the darkness. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So this is an incredible passage that we'll get to in John chapter 8, where there's this picture of him being the light of the world, and light pushes back this darkness. And so there's this immediate picture of Jesus confronting the Pharisees, and it's that darkness of religion. It's that darkness of religiosity. And Jesus, the light has come into it. Now, sometimes people in light love to have light brought into the room. If you have this incredible fear of what's happening around you, you love it when someone is turning on the light. But if you're doing something that you don't want anybody else to see, then you hate whoever would bring light into that picture. And that's exactly what we see here. The Pharisees have their own religion. They have their own form of religiosity. They don't need a savior. They don't need this guy coming in claiming to be God. They have created their own philosophy of how to honor God. They've used this this symbolism. They've used this structure of religion, but they've denied the very power of it, which is a relationship with God. And Jesus points it out by saying, you don't know him. And if you did know him, you would know me because I am him. And that's the picture that John is painting for us. So what I want to do is use John and I want to talk about some of the aspects of light that he is portraying for us to understand about Jesus that are true about light in general. And the first one is this, light always conquers darkness. Would you agree with me on that? Light always conquers darkness. One of the greatest things about light is the fact that you can depend on it, that it's always going to push back the darkness. Darkness can never defeat light. 
Have you ever been driving home in the, in the dark, down a dark road, and you see a light off in the distance, and maybe there was a house there that you never knew existed because it was behind all these trees, but at night, you know it's there. Why? Because there is this light that emanates from within the windows. From within the house, the light is coming out. You know, they sell this product called a flashlight, and we often have that, and we keep them in places where we might need them. Do you know what they don't sell? A flash dark because you can't, you can't do that. Now, I think it would be a great product to sell on as seen on TV, okay? Because what you could do is say, this is a flash dark. You know, you flash it and it flashes shadows out there, but there's no such thing, right? Because you don't, there's no device that you can turn on and poof, it just pushes the light back. And there's just this darkness wherever you point it. But you could convince people that this just doesn't work in the light, but it works very well in the darkness. And you could probably still sell them to a lot of gullible people on there, okay? You would order one. Some of you know that you're the ones that would order it right off of that TV. What is that called? QVC? Yeah, you would, you would buy it off of QVC. But oftentimes, whenever we think about darkness and light, we forget about the fact that light is so powerful. It's so powerful that none of you Whenever you go to turn on your flashlights, as long as you know it has strong batteries, when you know that you have power to your house, when you flip that switch, you never sit there and go, oh my goodness, I hope the light wins out this time. I mean, because the last time I turned this on, the light came, but then the darkness just pushed back that light right back into the bulb, and I didn't have any light in that room. Boy, I hope this time the light wins. You don't ever do that, do you? You always know the light's going to win. You know as long as that thing has power, and as long as that bulb is working, when you flip that switch, that room is going to be immediately illuminated. Am I right? You know that light always defeats darkness. Jesus is claiming to be the light of the world. He's claiming to be the conqueror of darkness. So we have to ask this question. Is this claim true? Can we substantiate the claim that Jesus has of being the light of the world? Is Jesus the conqueror of darkness? Well, John talks about this in that same passage in chapter 8. So at the beginning of chapter 8, John gives us this story about this woman who was caught in adultery. Now, I think it's very interesting because, remember, he goes in and he talks about this fact that there is this light that has come into the darkness. Now, think about adultery and where adultery would typically happen. It usually will happen in darkness. And so this woman who has been caught, now, John is painting a picture that he wants us to really reflect on. Number one, to be caught in adultery and to be convicted of anything, you have to have two witnesses. So John wants us to think about these two pious Pharisees. How long were they watching this? How do they both see this? How do they both say that this is what's happening and we are the witnesses to this? The other thing is, where's the man? Adultery takes two people. He said, well, in that culture, man. But here's the thing. If you are bringing, you've caught two people in this, why are you only bringing the one? And the point is, they're not concerned about adultery. They're not even concerned about the law. They're concerned about Jesus. They want to show that he's a fraud. So they bring him out there. They throw this woman down who has been brought out of the darkness into the light and her shame and her guilt are on display for everyone. And that's what they intended. And they said, the law of Moses says that we should stone her. What do you say? And the light begins to shine and push back the darkness. And here's what's amazing. In that picture, who leaves? The Pharisees. 
when the light shines and pushes back the darkness, the darkness is the Pharisees and the judgmental who are standing there with stones in their hands. And Jesus says, whoever is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And they all begin to drop their stones and walk away. And when they've all walked away, the light of the world is there. And still this woman and her sin is present right there in front. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? There are none left. Then neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. And then there's this picture of Jesus being the light and this claim that he is the light of the world. Throughout his ministry, Jesus came face to face with darkness over and over again. And he always prevailed every single time. He cast out demons and none of the demons were able to overcome him. He healed people's diseases and there was none that he was not able to overcome. And he even withstood temptation against the tempter himself while he was in the wilderness. Three times he came to him and he said, listen, I know why you're here. I know what you've come to do. You've come to take back what that first Adam lost in the garden, haven't you? Well, here's the deal I'm going to make you. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to sacrifice yourself. I will give you everything that you've already come for if you will just bow down and worship me. And Jesus constantly responds with the light of God's word. And the light pushes back the darkness of the lies of the enemy's words and temptations. And so every time we see this, we see Jesus withstanding whatever the situation may be. We are told in Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not, what? He didn't sin. He didn't give into the darkness and neither do we because of what he's done for us. Because the light has shone on us, we have one of two things. We can either run back into the darkness saying, I don't want my sins to be exposed. Or we can allow the light to not only expose our sins, but to melt them away. And the beauty of what forgiveness is supposed to be. So Jesus was, according to scripture, he was tempted by the darkness. He was killed by the darkness. He was buried in darkness. He was descended into darkness. And then ultimately, he overcame the darkness. This is what all the gospel writers want us to see, that there was this fight, this, this cosmic fight, this, this eternal universal fight between this light and dark and light wins. The most awesome thing about Jesus conquering darkness is that we have the power to do the same thing through him. That's what they want us to understand. So it's not just about understanding who Jesus is. Now it's understanding that if we have embraced this, there's something about us that has changed as well. Now watch this, because this is a pretty amazing thing. As we understand Jesus being the light of the world, we now have to understand what that means for us as his followers. So whatever darkness existed in your life, if we understand Jesus as the light of the world, he came to conquer that darkness. Maybe you come from a home where there's great darkness, whether through bitterness or hatred or drunkenness or sexual depravity or divorce that harmed you because it got so dirty and bitter. Maybe you are the victim of divorce as a spouse leaving you and turning their back and walking away. Whatever it may be, whatever darkness you've had to walk through in your life, none of those dark things stand a chance before Jesus, who's the light of the world. Maybe you're fighting against sin. 
Maybe you're fighting bitterness in your own life. Maybe there's this area of your life where darkness reigns. What the gospel writers want us to understand is that Jesus gives you the power to conquer that through him. Because of him being the light of the world, because of him being the conqueror of darkness, you can also overcome the darkness. None of these dark things stand a chance before Jesus, who is the light of the world. Jesus gives you the power to conquer it through him. Because of him being the light of the world, because of him being the conqueror of darkness, we have this ability, we have this calling, we even have this mandate on our life to reflect that great light. That's a beautiful thing about the moon. Have you ever walked outside on a night where it's a full moon? And have you ever noticed that even though the moon has zero light of its own, when it can fully reflect the light of the sun that we can't see, it's enough light that you can see everything at nighttime. I mean, you can see a good distance into the dark and you can also see your own shadow at night with no sun around. Have you ever been out there? I'm, my kids are always amazed by that and secretly I am too. I still am amazed that I can at nighttime, at midnight, see my shadow on the ground. And the only reason is because the moon is a good reflector of light. That's the picture that the gospel writers want us to see about ourselves. That as this light has come into the darkness and we have embraced it, we become like the moon reflecting that great light in the darkness that we find ourselves in. Listen to what the gospel writers talk about. This is what the New Testament writers emphasize. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So keep, keep what Paul says there in the back of your mind. Let me highlight what Peter says in 2 Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So what are these New Testament writers saying? They're saying that you can conquer the darkness of your life, of your circumstances, of your situations because Jesus has already overcome the darkness. Because he's already overcome the darkness and you have been brought into that light, you now reflect that light into the situations that you find yourself in. So not only does light conquer darkness, but the second thing I want to point out is that light also brings clarity. Uh, there was a friend of mine one time after I became a Christian. Uh, I remember I was roughly 16 years old when I became a follower of Christ. And I remember thinking to myself, this was probably months after becoming a Christian. What a horrible person I was. And I, I really, it came to the point that I was thinking, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm not really saved. Maybe I'm not, because I feel like I'm worse now than I was before I became a Christian. I feel like I sin more after I became a Christian than I ever did before. And I remember very clearly where I was. It was after a church service, and the guy asked me, you know, what's going on with you? I, I can tell on your demeanor. And so I said, well, here's, here's what I'm struggling with. And I began to tell him the whole thing I just kind of shared with you with more detail. And um, he said, oh, you mind if I show you something? I said, sure. I don't know where he got this from, but it was very helpful. We walked outside of the building, and we walked into what was a dark 
area. So it was like a side door that came out of the church. Now, off in the distance, if you can imagine, was the parking lot where everybody was parked. But where we were, there was no lights around us. He said, let me see your hand for a second. I was like, all right. So he takes my hand, he pulls it behind my back, and he said, I'm going to write something on your hand. And he wrote something on, on my hand. And then he, he said, all right, I want you to read it. And I was like, man, I can't read it. I mean, it was a dark night, like no moon out at all. It was kind of like a dreary clouds even out there. It was dark. I said, there's no way I can read that. And he said, all right, so let's start walking to our cars. And he said, I want you to just keep looking at that. I want you to tell me when you can read it. And so we get a little bit closer. And, of course, as we get closer to the parking lot and the lights that are illuminating the parking lot, I could see what was written on my hand. He wrote the word freedom. And I said, I see it. It's freedom. And he said, all right, let's keep walking. And, and, and as we got, we walked directly under one of the lights of the parking lot. And he said, look at your hand now. Tell me the details that you see. And I said, well, I can see the hairs on my hand. I can see what you wrote. I can see that you almost misspelled it. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, but I could see every detail about my hand. I could see the wrinkles in my knuckles. I could see the fingernails. I could see everything about it. And he said, listen, what you're experiencing is what you should experience. He said, before you ever knew Christ, you walked in darkness. You were that evil person that you're now seeing, but you just didn't realize it because there was nothing shining it out in you. There was nothing revealing it in you. Now that you are a follower of Christ and you're following him, you're aware of things that you were never aware of before. Things have been revealed to you that were hidden by the darkness that you used to walk in. And the closer you get to that light, the more evil you're going to see in your own heart and your own life. He said, so your experience is not because you're not a follower of Christ. Your experience should be what every single person experiences when they follow after Christ. Because before him, you were lost in darkness. You were overcome by sin. And now because of him, you have a freedom from that. And the freedom is that he defeated that sin and that darkness, and now you can walk in that freedom. But you have to be aware that the further you get in this journey, the more and more aware of how evil and depraved you were is going to be revealed. But that's okay. It's just like the adulterous woman. When he looks at you and he says, where are your accusers? He's going to say, I don't accuse you either. Matter of fact, I've already paid for that sin. So the reason I paid for that sin is so you can set it aside and you can walk in the freedom that you want to walk in. What a beautiful picture of what light bringing clarity means. Now, let me tell you another story. I'm full of stories today. I, my oldest son, Colin, played baseball. And in one year, he made the all-star team, right? And I figured out what all-star team means is you pay a whole lot of money that you don't have to go places that you really don't need to be to play in games that really don't mean anything in the long term. Okay, so for all of you who play postseason and all that, that's great. But we played it one season, and we haven't played it again since then. But uh, we found ourselves in Eufaula, Alabama. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been to Eufaula, Alabama. Quaint little town, got a nice little downtown area, nice little river or lake. I think it's a lake that runs through there, or a big lake Eufaula. Beautiful place, but... Um, this is not a very big place. So there's not a lot to do there. So on our day off, we drove a little ways away to a place called DeSoto Caverns. How many of y'all been to DeSoto Caverns? Okay, so I don't know if you've ever been there or remember if you went into the cavern, but one of the things that I was amazed by, I'd never been to this place before, they walk you in there and they walk you deep into the cavern and then they tell you all these different things about it and what it was used for and how they used to make moonshine in there and all those great stories. But then they sit you down and they say, all right, we want everybody to stay where they are because we're about to turn off these lights. 
So you have these lights that kind of illuminate the walkway, and they also are strategically placed to create these incredible effects to see the stalactites and the stalagmites that are coming up from the floor and, and, and hanging down from the ceiling of the cave. And it's a beautiful thing. But he says, we're going to turn it off, and you're going to experience complete darkness. And so they turned it off, and sure enough, I mean, you, you could, it was weird. You felt it. Like, it was like, whew, like, you really, you were in, it was dark. And they said, just to show you that it is complete darkness, we want you to do something. We want you to take your finger and hold it out in front of your head, and we want you to touch your nose. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. And I came in, and I touched the side of my face. And they said, how many of you actually touched your nose? Yeah, the, one of the things, one of the tasks that you're in complete darkness is you lose your orientation, that you literally can't touch your nose. Now, you may accidentally get it or whatever, but you lose that sense of orientation because there's zero light. And then she went on to say, there are only, I remember this because I was amazed by it. There are only three places in the entire universe that you can experience complete darkness. And I thought, this girl's in college. How has she been through the whole universe and realized? So I knew she was getting it from somewhere else. So I don't know what she was basing it on, but she said these three things. She said, the places you can experience complete darkness is in deep space, which that blew my mind because I thought there were stars everywhere and you could see them from everywhere. But apparently that's not true, that you can in deep space experience complete darkness. The other one is in a cave like we were in. Does anybody know what the other one is? The depth of the ocean. When you get to the bottom part of the ocean, as far as you can go depth-wise into the ocean, you can experience complete darkness. Those are the only three places. Now, this was a science experiment, okay? This was coming from scientific points of view, and she said these are the only three things. Now, here's what's amazing. As I was preparing this message, I have no idea why, but I remembered that being in the darkness because it was applying to what we were talking about here. But then as I was writing out uh, what I remembered about listening there at DeSoto Caverns, a verse came to my mind. And I started searching for where the verse came from because I thought it might actually be applicable. And I remembered one part of the verse. When I found it, I was blown away at how these two things come together. Now, I just want to tell you, this is my claim to being a theologian because I've never seen anybody else connect these things, all right? But sitting in my house, I connected these things. Listen to what it says in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Look, look at what he gives us as examples. If I ascend to the heaven, let's call that deep space, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's the depths of the earth, a cave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the, what does he say? Uttermost parts of the sea, you are there. It's the only three examples that he gives in that psalm. Deep space, depths of the earth, and the depths of the ocean. My mind went, okay? Because usually I learn this from somebody else. Usually I hear another preacher share those kinds of things, or I read it in a commentary or a book. This literally came together as I was studying for this, and I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea when I was at DeSoto Caverns, I was in a theological education. But years, thousands and thousands of years before they would have known where you can experience complete darkness, the psalmist says, if I go to these three places, I can't be away from you. And what are those three places representative of? Darkness. Now look how the psalm continues. Verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the, what does it say? Darkness shall cover me. 
and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Man, that psalm takes on a whole new meaning when I understand Jesus is the light of the world, the light that's been introduced to the darkness. When I understand that light overcomes darkness and that light brings clarity. Because see, Jesus, when he comes into our life, he exposes the darkness. We see it in the gospel stories that he exposes the darkness in the Pharisees. He exposes the darkness of the faithlessness of his disciples. He exposes the darkness in the Samaritan woman when he encounters her and he says, go get your husband. And she goes, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right when you don't have a husband. You have five husbands and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. And there's that awkward pause. And she goes, I perceive you're a prophet. (laughs) Yeah, because Jesus comes into those moments and he's not there to expose it because he wants to bring shame. It's there because he wants to bring healing. Because as that story comes out, she does what any of us would do when light shines on our darkness. And that is we change the subject. And she says, well, our fathers say that we should worship over there, but your fathers say that we should worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, listen, a day is coming. Matter of fact, it's already here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And what happens with that story is this lady who has the encounter with the light of the world and her darkness is exposed, runs back to the village and is ashamed no more. She says, come and hear this man who's known everything that I've done. He knows everything about me. And and the scripture says that the whole village comes out and hears him and believes. Light invades the darkness. See, when we allow the light of the world to have access into our own lives, what happens? He begins to change us from the inside out. It's much like the light in a house in darkness. You know, they turn those lights on and you can't hide that house anymore. Lights are coming through the windows, even invading the darkness that surrounds the house on the outside. His light, just as it comes into our life, begins to shine into the dark corners of our lives first on the inside, exposes those areas where we have grime and we have cobwebs and the areas of our life that need attention and need the warmth and healing of the presence of Christ. But then it goes beyond that. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, This is what John tells us. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is what? Light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So what we see is that light has these incredible, incredible concepts, has these incredible qualities that we understand not only in the physical, but we also understand them in the spiritual, such as light also helps us to find lost things, doesn't it? How many of you lost your keys? You use that little light on your iPhone to go looking in the dark. How many of you have ever lost something in your car? It fell between the seats. And you know that little dim light they put in that car is never enough because it's just enough maybe to see the seat and it casts a shadow and you can't see anything under. So you got to get some kind of light to look under there to expose that darkness to find what it is that you're looking for that is lost in that darkness. Uh, there is actually a parable that Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 15. He talks about three lost things. 
lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. We've talked about this a few weeks back, but I want to focus in on uh, the lost coin, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but if you remember that parable, it says that there was this coin that was lost, and they were beginning to look for it, and it says they tore their house apart, but one of the things that Jesus specifically mentions is that they took a light with them. And as they went looking for this, they took the light to expose or push away the darkness so they could find the things that are lost. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think Matthew chapter 6, Jesus exposes that for us. Verse 14, Jesus talking to those who are following him. He doesn't say, I am the light of the world. Look at what he says. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So he says, as we allow him to come into our lives and we allow his light to invade the very corners of the darkness of our souls so that we can have the sin of our life revealed, but also have it healed, then all of a sudden that light that has now pervaded our life begins to shine outside of us. And he says, this is not something to be hidden. No one takes their light and hides it. No, they put it on a lampstand so that it becomes a light for, listen to what he says, everyone else in the room. So your light, as you walk into these dark situations and relationships that you find yourself in, your light should be shining on the paths of other people who are walking in darkness so that they can benefit from that and they can look at that and they get wisdom from that. And all of a sudden they glorify God in heaven. They don't glorify you because they know there's nothing special about you. It's the reflection of God in your life. What a beautiful picture. So Paul picks up on this. God is calling us to let our light shine so that others can see him. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, to set it up, remember at the beginning of, of Ephesians in chapter 1, Paul talks about all the benefits that are ours in Christ Jesus. And he lists them in this run-on sentence that is horrible grammar but incredible truth. I mean, it's like 15 verses and it's one sentence in the original text. And it literally keeps saying over and over again, in him, we have this. 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 In him, every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus. Now, as he gets to the end of his letter in chapter five, he says this in verse eight. For at one time you were, what does it say? What does it say? Read it. Yet notice that it doesn't say that you were in darkness. Paul says, at one time you were darkness. And look how he follows it up. But now you, what? You're not in light. You are light. One time you were darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. 
For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So we are like these mirrors reflecting the great glory of God. The question we have to ask ourselves is this. Do others see your light? Do they see it? Do others understand who Jesus is just by looking at you and the light that emanates from your life? Or when you walk through different crisis situations, does the dark overwhelm you? There's a light that is available to you. And notice going back to that psalm, he says that even the night is light to you. So a lot of times, whether our life is light or darkness is always going to be directly related to our relationship with God. If we are allowing him to be the light in our situations, we will have light and we will have the wisdom that we need. Doesn't mean we'll have all the answers that we need. We'll have the wisdom that we need to take a step forward. But if we depend on ourselves and we are our own source of wisdom, we walk in darkness. There was in Austin, Texas, a crime spree that was going on in this one neighborhood. And they were trying to figure out everything. They had police that would begin to patrol at night and it, it, the crime rate wasn't touched by that. And finally, they came to this conclusion and they said, you know what? It's really just a really dark neighborhood. What if we put up street lights? And that we also asked the residents to put up bright lights that are motion detected lights. And so they did that. And the amazing thing was the crime rate plummeted. But you know what the evil people did? They took rocks and they threw them at the lights and knocked them out and broke them. Guess what happened when they got enough of those lights out? The crime rate spiked again. So they went in and they fixed the lights and they put new light bulbs in. And guess what happened? The crime rate dropped again. Now, I want you to keep that picture in the back of your mind. When there was light there, the crime rate dropped. When there was no light there, the crime rate would spike. Now, think about this for a moment. Jesus is the light of the world. He's calling you to be the light of the world with him. When you do what light does, things around you begin to change. People are going to recognize the light in your life. They're going to begin to do things differently. But let me also warn you that being light will also make you a target. People are going to take shots at you. Just like they know, hey, that light is keeping us from doing the things that we want. Let's put that light out. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Why? Because I'm the light of the world and you're going to be my light as well. And the reason they don't like me is because I'm exposing the darkness. Because when I come into the situation, they can't help but come face to face with truth. Guess what? If you are my followers and you are walking in that light, the same thing is going to be true about you. You're going to come up in situations. You're going to be like, this is all wrong. You're seeing this wrong. This is what the word of God says. And all of a sudden, they're going to be like, we don't want the word of God in our life. And all of a sudden, you become a target. They're going to call you things like hypocrite. They're going to call you things maybe worse than hypocrite. Okay? Just know that's going to happen. Why? Because there are some people in darkness that don't want to be found. There are some people in darkness that don't want a light anywhere around them because they want to stay in their darkness. So just know that just because you're the light that Jesus has called to reflect his great light doesn't mean everything's going to be hunky-dory. doesn't mean every situation is going to work out perfectly. 
doesn't mean everything's going to work out great in life and you're never going to have any issues or problems. No, it may make some of your relationships more difficult. It may make some of your work decisions more difficult. It may make your path in life and your situations more difficult. But know this, what happens in this life is brief compared to the length of what God wants to do with you because we are eternal beings. The life that we live here is very short. The scripture keeps pointing us back to, it's a wisp of air. It's a breath. It's a moment. Jesus even says, don't lay up your treasures here. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you lay up your treasures in a place that you're going to be for a short, short breath of your experience? Lay up your treasures in heaven where you can enjoy them for eternity. See, a lot of times what we mess up on is we put too much stock in this life. That somehow it has to work itself out here. That somehow it has to be perfect here. That somehow there has to be no troubles here, no tears here, no sickness here, no death here. And what scripture keeps pointing us to is there's a day coming when there will be no tears. There will be a day coming when there is no death. There will be a day coming when there is no sickness. And the question that the gospel writers leave us with, and really all of the scripture writers, what day are you living for? What day are you investing in? Let's pray together. God, thank you for a word that reminds us of this truth of light and the properties of light versus the properties of darkness. I think it's amazing when we look at John, that it's the only New Testament book that starts within the beginning. When we go back to the Old Testament, we think there's only one book that starts within the beginning, and that's Genesis. And both of them start in the same situation. Darkness that light invades. Obviously, there's a bigger story that's taking place here. And God, you have called us out of our own stories that we're making into the story that you have created for us, that you intended for us. You are calling us out of our darkness into the light of life. And the only way we can find that is to first be exposed for the sinners that we are. Lord, we confess that. Lord, how depraved we are, how we follow our own passions, how we become selfish, not only with our passions, but our resources and our time, our talents. Lord, we confess those things to you and say, Lord, forgive us. Thank you for loving us enough to point out the things that are hurting us and misdirecting us. Lord, thank you for the forgiveness that you extend through your death and your resurrection. And I pray that through the experience of what you did conquering death, hell, and the grave, that we might experience in this brief thing we call life, the light of life. And may it be a foreshadowing of a day coming where we are in your presence and there is no darkness at all. I can think of so many passages in Revelation that talk about there is no more sun because there's not a need for one because you are the light and the light is enough that there is no day or night because there is no darkness because in you there is light. 
Lord, these are things that we have become accustomed to hearing in church and reading in scripture. But I pray that today we would think about them new and afresh in ways that would blow our minds and reminds us of the confidence that we can place in your word and in your will for our life. And we ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus, our sovereign Lord, the light of the world. Amen.